APU. American Public University is proud to present the following podcast. Welcome to today's audio podcast here at American Public University System. My name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and for today, the Everyday Scholar, we are talking to Dr. Jennifer Kramer. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Dr. Mercer. Of course. And so today we're going to talk about what you do and your research in Africa. So my first question for you is, what do you study? So I study wild primates. I mostly focus on studying monkeys, but primates are the animals that include lemurs, lorises, monkeys, and apes. So my fieldwork focuses on mostly monkeys, and my fieldwork is also focused on mostly Africa, although primates are distributed in other parts of the world. So Africa, Asia, Latin America, South America. My first question is, how did you choose Africa when there's obviously primates all around the world? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I first got interested in studying primates through an undergraduate course. With the university that I was attending, there was a visiting professor who had a course that was cross-listed with biology, which is what I was majoring in. So it looked like a really interesting course. It was called something like Primate Morphology and Behavior. And so I thought, okay, that sounds interesting to me. I've definitely seen some documentaries about primates. I'm going to dabble in this a little bit and check it out. So I took a course with her. She talked a lot about her research in Madagascar. I really loved the way that she talked about not only working overseas to study wildlife, but all of the sort of interesting cultural experiences she had living in a tent in Madagascar. So that got me really interested in sort of what it would be like to start working overseas. I then took a field school. She recommended that I try out a field school before continuing on my path to becoming a primatologist. So not to just sort of jump right in and say, this is what I'm going to do, but to actually try it hands-on. So I went to a three-week course in Costa Rica, and that was a really eye-opening experience. I discovered that I really loved being muddy in the rain and watching primates with my binoculars, being around people that I hadn't met before, being in a new culture. But I also realized that I liked the primates themselves, but I felt like there might be better primates suited to me, I guess. So these guys, compared to the ones I study now, were a little bit smaller. They're often in trees. They can be really hard to see. So after that experience, I went on to graduate school. And when I was in graduate school, I started looking into sort of other species and sort of some of the research questions I'd be interested in studying. And all of the things I was interested in studying really pointed to not working with new world monkeys like in Latin and South America that I'd just been exposed to at this field school, but in working with old world monkeys. So those that are in Africa and Asia. And in my graduate programs, I had the opportunity to work with those monkeys that at least the species I've studied tend to be more terrestrial. So they're on the ground. They're a bit bigger. Their sort of social soap opera is a little bit easier to see and play out during the day when you're doing your work and observations. And so those interests led me to Africa and getting involved in a project that was headed by my dissertation advisor in Africa for a number of years. Excellent. A question I have to follow up is you you talk about field research. And so what is it like to talk to people about your field research where sometimes people think of research, they think of scientists in these sterile environments having breakthroughs, but you're, as you said, literally in the mud. So what is it like to tell people about your trips that last several weeks 
and you're in a country where you're not as familiar with the language and the culture is completely different. And especially going to Africa, it's a very different experience. So can you tell people what that's like in a way that they can understand something that they've never experienced like that? Yeah. So it's interesting. I get sort of different reactions about this. So people sometimes say, I wish I got to do that. Like they sort of imagine it's like a vacation, right? So they imagine that I'm sort of in a big truck on a safari and I see lions and giraffes every day and observe my monkeys and sort of go back and do sort of fun things. And it is really fun to get to go on these trips. I'm super fortunate to be able to do this kind of research, but it's a little bit more like everyday life, right? So there's a lot of logistics challenges like there is in all research, but because of language barriers or just sort of different national norms in terms of getting permits and getting permissions, navigating just really different sort of hierarchical situations can be different. So there's a lot of like logistics and kind of paperwork things that go on behind the scenes. It's not so simple as I just sort of book my ticket and I go there and I do my work. It's months and years of relationship building, getting all the paperwork in place and the permissions in place. So that's one thing I think that a lot of people don't necessarily know about. It's different in that way than just sort of going on a trip that's purely for fun and exploration. Another thing I think actually that makes my work a really nice and unique fit with our student population, our student body, is that a lot of our students have worked overseas in various capacities. So maybe they've been active duty and overseas, maybe they are military affiliated or a military spouse or a military dependent that grew up overseas. So I feel like one of the things that happens for me in our courses compared to when I've taught courses at more kind of traditional non-online places or just even given talks in my local community is a lot of our students know exactly what I'm talking about when I say things like, oh, it was a great field season. The truck only broke down twice. Or this year we had running water for two out of the three weeks. Our students identify with that and they know exactly what I'm talking about. They know about things like trying to plan months in advance to get the right boots for the conditions that you're going to be in and having backup shoes if something happens to those. Lack of access to easy medical care like what we would have here in the States. If I break a leg in the field, I'm going to have a very different experience than I would here in the U.S. where I just drive to the ER that's only five minutes away. So there's a lot of kind of unique challenges about field work that I really enjoy, but the average person sometimes doesn't know all of those pieces that go into it. So those are, I guess, kind of a few examples I would say fit. Excellent. That's great. So my next question about your research in the field and in Africa, what are some different ethical topics or situations you have to deal with? That's a really good question. Anthropologists have to deal with really complex cultural situations and planning our research can be a little bit tricky in terms of making sure that our research is ethical and meets ethical guidelines and is considerate of people that we're working with in other cultural contexts. So for instance, in our introduction to anthropology class, we actually talk about this. We review the American Anthropological Association's ethics code We talk through some different cases. We have students bring in some examples about ethical issues in other cultural contexts that maybe they've experienced or ones that they've read about in the news. So some of the things that I encounter that come up a lot in class and really mirror some situations that students have had, especially those that have been active duty overseas, 
is how to approach other cultures in a transparent way. So letting them know what your background is, what your credentials are, what your interests are, why you're planning to work in their country, what you'd like to study, what benefits there might be to them, what challenges or issues might come up for them. And some of the logistical pieces that fit with that are being sensitive about differences in language, for instance. So where I mostly work now in the Gambia, there's multiple languages that people use. So I have to work really closely with a multilingual translator that's able to fluidly go between, say, Mandinka and Fula or Fula and Wolof in English to make sure that we're communicating really effectively with people when we're out in villages and asking for permission to conduct interviews and letting them know more about our work. Another issue that's come up a couple of times is some of my work focuses on behaviors that are maybe sex dependent. So women versus men or experiences that might pertain more to women versus men. When I'm working, I have a government partner and local collaborators that I work with and being sensitive to if I'm asking questions about, say, women's behavior, but I'm working with a male translator, thinking about how those answers might differ and also thinking about the sort of power dynamics behind if I would even be able to hire a woman to work as my translator rather than a man and sort of of how that plays out. So there's a lot of complexities involved there. And one of the things that's just kind of a rolling challenge really is working really closely with local partners to plan the research ahead of time to talk about what is and isn't appropriate, what is and isn't going to fit well with getting us the information that we want so the project is successful, or if it's not possible to get the information that we want, if we need to adjust the study to fit basically with what the norms and realities would be on the ground. I think for a lot of anthropologists, if we do field work outside of our own culture in other parts of the world, it's really key for us to have good relationships with local collaborators. So sometimes that's a person in government. Sometimes it's a person at a local university. Sometimes it's a person at a local research institute. And having those on-the-ground partners is really important for helping us get the work done and doing it in a way that's appropriate and sensitive But it's also, at least for me and a number of other anthropologists that have been really discussing this a lot more in the past decade or so, is helping make sure that we're also offering development and opportunities to people in these places that we're working. So for instance, I work with my local collaborators to apply for grants, to author manuscripts, to present at conferences, to help develop their careers and their knowledge alongside how they're helping develop me when I'm in the field and doing this kind of work. Excellent. Fascinating. Another question is when you're in, say, the Gambia, what is the main religion there? And does that ever come up? Is it a way of collaboration? Is it a barrier? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in the Gambia, the Gambia is mostly a Muslim culture. And so when I'm there, one of the things that comes up is religious holidays that aren't as familiar to me being here in the U.S. and being in a culture that is predominantly Judeo-Christian in terms of the holidays that are 
celebrated or federally recognized here in the U.S. So like the last, I think, three years, I've been in the Gambia and also in other parts of West Africa during the end of Ramadan. And so we've had to adjust our field schedule based on that and sort of knowing when offices will open, when will people be available. But it's also been a really great learning opportunity in terms of me being there during important religious holidays to learn more about how the local culture celebrates those religious holidays, what their belief systems are. One of the things that's been really eye-opening to me, especially in just the past few years, is that people there tend to be really curious about how Americans, specifically Christian Americans, feel about Muslim people overseas. And so they're really aware of a lot of stereotypes and highly politicized discussions of Christianity and Islam. And so they have questions about that. And so we've had some really good conversations about their stereotypes of American culture, of Christianity, and vice versa. I will say, too, also in class, in teaching our Introduction to Anthropology class, we do cover religion in that class. Religion's a cross-cultural universal. It's something that anthropologists have studied for a really long time. And I've been really fascinated because my experiences in Muslim parts of Africa West Africa, I guess specifically, have been really different than what students say deployed to the Middle East, also in a part of the world where Islam is practiced widely, have told me about in class. So we've had some really good discussions sort of comparing and contrasting what might be more cultural norms versus religious norms or expectations. And that sort of expanded my thinking about the intersection of culture and religion and also sort of where they can be separate in terms of interpretation of different norms. Oh, that's very very interesting. And I think as far as Americans go, Americans aren't as familiar with Africa at all. And the plurality of religions from Islam to Christianity to other faiths that we're just not familiar with is a great unknown. And I'm glad that you said that. The difference between, say, Islam in the Middle East and Islam in Africa and the cultural norms that are associated with that, because that's truly fascinating. And I think for Americans, they understand that, say, in, say, Spain, there's people from Spain and they're Catholic. And then if you go over to Greece, there's Greeks who are, say, Greek Orthodox. And if you jump up to Sweden, there's Swedes who are, say, Lutheran. They all know that there's different people, different religions, type of religions. And, but I think our unfamiliarity with Africa is a detriment, honestly. There's an entire continent that Americans need to get to know. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, even when I first started going to Africa and I've worked in countries all over the continent, I really realized how little I know about just African culture and African history. And I say that very broadly in the sense that there are thousands of language groups and cultural groups in Africa. We often frame it as like Africa as a place, a culture, some languages, but it's much more diverse than that. But I realized that in sort of K-12, there was such a Eurocentric focus in terms of learning about government and religion and history that I really didn't know a lot about Africa. So I didn't know about, say, the Boer Wars in South Africa, except maybe a little bit of mention more under the larger topic of British colonialism and there being conflict in parts of Africa based on that. So it's really been 
eye-opening for me to sit down with people when we are at the campfire at night or when we're on really long drives across the country and learn more about their history, to learn more about their political systems, about how they vote, about what they believe in, about what their norms are in terms of going to school or higher education or starting families. And I think it's been really eye-opening for them, too, to have exposure to an American that keeps coming and is, has been a regular part of their lives, that each year we sort of keep up with each other's families and changes in our careers and things like that over time. So I think that that's been sort of a, an unexpected and really wonderful part of the experience for my own development and growth. That is absolutely excellent. At this point, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. American Public University now offers doctoral degrees in global security and strategic intelligence. You'll be taught by highly experienced professionals and develop the critical thinking, analysis, and research skills needed to manage threats in today's complex global environment. Get valuable expertise from top practitioners in global security and strategic intelligence. Apply now at study at apu.com. And welcome back. Today we're talking to Dr. Jennifer Kramer. My next question is, what brought you to American Public University? Yeah, well, I think I would answer that probably pretty similar to a lot of our students, as well as other faculty members. One of the things that really stood out to me was that this was a really great way to get teaching experience and to be in the classroom while balancing my somewhat eclectic and global schedule. So I was in my doctoral program. I was in the last couple of years of it, which meant that I was going back and forth between here and field sites in Africa to work on my research, and also pretty busy with attending national and international conferences. So the opportunity to teach, but to be anywhere in the world was really appealing to me. And then when I was looking at the job ad further, there were mentions about our mission and our student body that were unique. So not just that we were working with adult learners, which isn't actually as unique as it used to be these days, but the really kind of global intercultural focus that we have in terms of having a large student body that's engaged in public service and overseas work. So during the interview, I talked with some other directors and leadership about sort of my research and what I did overseas. It sounded like it was a really great fit with the things that students were coming to class with under their belts and the things that they wanted to learn more about and talk more about as they brought their experiences into the concepts and assignments and things in class. And so I started teaching here. I've been able to teach here for the last 10 years while I've visited many countries around the world for conferences and for research. It's been really cool for me and I think for students too. Usually when I'm at conferences, I will post things like live from the such and such conference or live from the field. Here's some updates or here's what I'm working on today. And I think students have really enjoyed that. A lot of our students share that they really need the flexibility so that way they can balance these other things in their life. And I found that to be true also for the, the faculty side and staff as well, that kind of having that opportunity to be present in your career, present with your family. So I have two small children that I've welcomed since I've been working here. Most days I have a pretty flexible schedule, so I'm able to be pretty present with them, walk them to school, walk them home. I'm able to still work most days if if they're sick, so they're posted up with a book or a show and I'm, I'm able to keep working. So I think our asynchronous environment, at least 
for me, and I, I know some students have shared this too, it's actually really allowed me to be more active in my field and in my personal life than I would be if I was in a brick and mortar, synchronous, specific hours desk, like some faculty are at other institutions. So that was something that really drew me to, uh, to working here. Excellent. I have to completely agree. I've got three young kids and the ability to have this academic job while still being present with the family is wonderful. And I'm curious to see how other institutions in higher ed, if they start going towards this, even traditional ones where a lot of their courses are online. So a good portion of students today, a percentage of their courses will be online, even if they go to University of Wisconsin, uh, you know, Milwaukee. (laughs) or Arizona State next to me. Very few students take 100% all ground courses. So I guess my last question for you is, for your students, why would you encourage them to look into field research, not say going to Africa, but what benefits of learning the process of doing field research and maybe even like the red tape of learning how to do that? How could that help them in their lives and their careers? That's a great question. So a lot of our students already have in-field experiences. So they know a lot about what they want to do, or they know a lot about where their skills or knowledge really excels in terms of workplaces or other cultures. So one of the things I would say is when students are working on particular courses, maybe a new area, like the degree program that they're in maybe isn't something where they have a lot of experience, it's really important to have hands-on application of what you're learning in the classroom before you dive in both feet. So for example, I'd mentioned earlier that I took a field course and this undergraduate professor who became really a longtime mentor to me recommended that because I've been doing well in class, I felt really inspired and interested in this field that really getting hands-on experience and applying what we learned in class was an important next step before I made long-term time commitments, career commitment, financial commitment to pursuing that field. So when I went to this field course in Costa Rica, it was really helpful for me to see that just because I had learned the species of monkey names and because I had learned more about the ecosystem in Costa Rica and because I'd learned a little bit about some of the local cultural norms, that it didn't necessarily prepare me for all of the -the on-the-fly kinds of decisions I'd have to make, staying motivated to go out into the forest every day, what to do if I was sick, how to navigate communication gaps or other kinds of issues with folks that I was working with every day, how to stay interested in the project I was working on. So all the students did a small project that could be done across a few weeks. We quickly learned that sometimes the things we thought we could do based on what we'd been learning in class weren't doable in the field for whatever reason. So for example, if I had been interested in mother-infant behavior and I got to the field and found that maybe there was only one baby born that season or no babies born that season, that would really throw a wrench in my plans to do research. So learning how to, again, on the fly, be able to collect different data or sort of reframe your project idea or communicate with colleagues to figure out ways that you could maybe still collect some data or sort of change course. Those are the kinds of things that in class you don't really get a lot of experience with. So I think that those kinds of things are 
things that can really only come up outside the classroom. And like you said, that's not to say that folks have to travel very far away to get those kinds of experiences, but finding ways maybe to volunteer in their community or connect with a mentor maybe that's in the field that they're learning about or hoping to go into nearby Going to conferences can be really valuable to hear some of the sort of anecdotal things that people share about their experiences, challenges, unexpected issues that have come up in their research can be really eye-opening. So there's a lot of valuable ways that students can really supplement what they're learning in class, which tends to be much more sort of concise and in a perfect world sort of things with more of these kind of real world applications. That is a absolutely excellent response. And I really like what you said about learning on the fly. So when you're in the field and you're in a different country, having to really problem solve and do things on the fly is really one of the great things that you said. And that problem solving ability is one of the most important things that say we learn both in the classroom and eventually with employment. And in addition to that, you also said about connecting with a mentor. And if there's one thing that students can do is really connecting with someone, say, in the field, wherever they're going in their job, that can help guide them to where they're going. And so um, absolutely excellent. And remember, on the fly, (laughs) especially in the field. And thank you for joining us today, uh, Dr. Jennifer Kramer. Um, Any last thoughts? No, I just appreciate the opportunity to talk with you further. And I hope that students are enjoying listening to these so they can get to know faculty a little bit better. One thing I guess I would encourage students to do is sometimes students sort of find their way to my inbox. Like maybe someone tells them something and that person tells them something and then they get led to me and they'll, they'll share, you know, I'm really interested in doing something similar or I'm in the environmental science program and I'm really interested in working with wildlife. I think because we're online, sometimes it can be really hard to meet people that might be a good person to have in your network. Either they have a geographic connection or they have a career connection or a topic connection of something that really interests and inspires you. So I hope that these podcasts are actually are really helpful for students maybe identifying some people that they feel like they could connect with or reach out to by email or set up time to talk with to sort of help them flesh out their ideas and their path a little bit more. Excellent. Thank you. Wonderful final words. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to today's The Everyday Scholar Conversation with Dr. Jennifer Kramer. My name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer here at American Public University System. For more information about our university, visit us at study at apu.com. APU, American Public University.